You're listening to the Revelation Podcast brought to you by Open Bible Baptist Church. If you're in southwestern Ontario, we would love to have you come and visit us. You can find location and times at openbible.ca. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Swatsky answers the question, who will preach the gospel after the church is raptured? And now, here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. Tonight, I want to speak about the gospel witness in the tribulation. I, I'm going to try not to ramble, but, uh, but stay very, very close to the text. But I do, I do want us to realize that when comes time for the tribulation, there is going to be uh, an effective gospel witness, a powerful gospel witness, possibly a witness like the world has not known before. So, so as you know that everything about the tribulation period is an unprecedented event. It, it does not continue as normal. Life is not normal. This is something that has not happened before. There are going to be two witnesses. Now, we had an incident here this morning, and like I said, I try not to ramble, but so many things have happened today. Uh, we had two men here today uh, who came to the back door, and they literally told me I was condemned of God and God was going to hold me responsible for every woman here who wore any makeup or ever had a haircut. So then, of course, uh, I kind of just shifted them along and then they went over to talk to the buoys there. And so I kind of shifted them along real well because I didn't want them to steal the show here and keep you from being able to visit with our missionary friends. Uh, But if the two witnesses, if these were the two witnesses and they come to rebuke, you wouldn't live after the rebuke. You either obey what they said or you'd be done for. So I know they weren't the two witnesses. We get fun and games every once in a while. These things can't happen periodically. But we won't worry about these fellows. So we just, and I know Brother Friesen even talked to them and said, well, when you get saved, come over and, uh, and talk to me. He said, so that's, that's, that was a good witness to them. Appreciate that. What I was saying is that in the tribulation period, everything is unprecedented, and so the gospel witness will be unprecedented. Uh, The gospel witness started uh, in the New Testament era, uh, but but the fact is that there has been a witness onto the name of the Lord God uh, for a very long time. First of all, I want us to look at Revelation chapter 7 and reading in verses 1 through 17, And if you'd like to read with me, please, I'd like it when we read the scripture together. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, reading aloud with me. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Aser were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. 
Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And I cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God for ever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which come out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Well, I just want us to realize tonight that when God chose Israel of old, in the old times, he said to them that ye shall be my witnesses, so we read in the book of Isaiah. So it was stated this way, you, you shall be my witnesses, saith the Lord. The Lord there is Jehovah, it's Jehovah God, and so you have Jehovah's witnesses. It's not the kingdom hall, by the way, it's not the Russellites, but it was Israelites who were to be witnesses unto the Lord God, and he said, you shall be my witnesses. So God reveals that great purpose for Israel in stating it that way. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, he said, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, or saith Jehovah, or Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. In verse 12, I have declared and I have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Chapter 44, verse 8, he said, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So we see that when Christ left the earth following his resurrection, 
He gave the church its marching orders, and those marching orders are recorded for us in at least five different places. You, uh, you have it in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four places. Then in the book of Acts, it is repeated that, in fact, in the book of Acts, it is more specific even than anywhere. You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall take this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. A very loose uh, translation in my own head there of that verse. So what, what we have is we have Israel of old, determined to be the witnesses unto the Lord God of heaven. We have the church of the New Testament, which has been given the mandate to be witnesses unto the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the witness of the New Testament church. In the tribulation period, God again reveals how he desires for men to be saved. So just keep this in mind, that God's intent for fallen mankind is that fallen mankind might come back to him. You see, the, the fall was in the mind of God. He knew it would happen. He provided the lamb from before the foundation of the world. We read about the books from before the foundation of the world. So the plan of God was there. The Lamb of God was predetermined that he would come to be the Savior in the world because God knew that man would fall and he would fall into sin and he would depart from the living God. But God's purpose was not just to let man fall and leave him there. God's purpose was that when men fell, he also wanted to retrieve them. And this is what our God is like. His purpose is to bring people back to himself. Uh, that is the, the, the whole program of God. I know that in theological debates, there's always this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to represent the glory of God. There's the other side where said Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. What are you going to do with that? You're going to realize that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when every individual who responds to Christ turns to him and honors God, brings glory to God. So it isn't an either or. He came for both. He came to magnify God. He came to redeem mankind. We should never forget that. We should never confuse that. It is the purpose of God to save souls. It's the purpose of God to have a missionary enterprise from country to country to country around this world. That was his intent in Acts 1. It's his intent in Matthew 28. And it just goes on. So then, what about in the tribulation? You see, the tribulation, again, is distinct. And I just want us to realize this. It is not the same as it is now. So in the tribulation, God has another program. And this program is to show that even in this time, he wants people to be saved. If, if I were to take you to 2 Thessalonians, which I'm not going to do tonight for time's sake, but if I were to take you to 2 Thessalonians, you would see that there will be multitudes of people that will be deceived and they will believe the lie, which will be the great deceptive lie of the Antichrist. So there is a two-pronged situation here. You've got on the one hand, you've got the people that will be deceived by the Antichrist, and they're not going to believe God. They're going to follow hook, swallow hook, line, and sinker, everything the Antichrist says and presents himself to be. 
and so that they will be damned of God because they have chosen to believe that lie. So then, if you have some people that will believe the lie, and this is a very strong idea in Second Thessalonians 2, then what's the purpose of evangelization? Then what's the purpose of the gospel witness in the tribulation period? And I just want us to realize tonight that when the tribulation time comes, there will still be vast numbers of people in the world who have never as much as heard of Jesus Christ. Uh, never even dawned on them that there was anything like that. They walk in darkness and in absolute ignorance. And remember this, if the purpose of God is to save mankind, he's not going to leave them in the tribulation. But wait a minute, preacher, you've been saying that tribulation is about judgment. It is, believe me, it is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's fire and fury from the Lord God of heaven upon a very rebellious world. But in the midst of all of his fire and fury upon a rebellious world, he looks upon that individual who has never heard, never read about Jesus, never attended a Sunday school, never ever talked about him, and there will be a witness to that heart. That's the tribulation witness. That's what's going to be happening. So God reveals how he's going to save people. So from all of this, it is obvious that his main purpose is to save the sinner and what should be the purpose of this church and what should be the purpose of every church? The purpose of every church under the sun should be to invite sinners to come to Christ, to bring the gospel to sinful hearts. That should be the purpose in a church that does not have as its purpose the winning of souls, the saving of souls. World evangelization is a church that is not fulfilling the will of God. So we should be very, very happy that we are doing the best we can to fulfill the will of God because we see God's program. We see his plan. We see his intent for mankind. It's important for us to see that. But in Revelation 7, we have the focus of two classes of people. The first class of people that we notice here are the witnesses to Jesus Christ. Who are the witnesses to Jesus Christ? Well, uh, they will be saved, uh, and the second one is the saved from the witnesses to Jesus Christ. So we have the gospel witnesses in verses 1 through 8. Let's just have a look at them. Uh, their identification. Their identification in Revelation chapter 7 is a group of men of 144,000. In our politically correct, gender-sensitive society, do we dare say a group of men? The Bible says, is what we say. We don't have to go to a new translation that is, that is, that is gender neutral in order for us to preach truth. You see, political, I shouldn't be doing this, but political correctness is not truth. It's just silliness that's happening in the day and age in which we live. So, first of all, there's that number 144,000. Secondly, there is this word, the Jews. Okay, so these are things I just want to just stop there just for a minute. Number one, could that number, could it be that that number 144,000 is exactly that, 144,000? Uh, does it have to represent anything? Well, there isn't anything in the passage of Scripture here or in chapter 14, there's nothing that indicates that the 144,000 are a representation of something. 
that they're symbolic. Uh, what we have, because of the very crystal clear identification who these people are, we have them, 12,000 individuals from every one of the tribes named in Israel. Well, you know, and then some people have argued the point, well, it's not the same list. That's true. In the book of Ezekiel, you have one list. Here you have another list. Uh, the, the, you, you just have a few names that are shifted around, and I don't have time to really elaborate. But I just want you to know that these are 12,000 from 12 tribes that are distinctly Jewish. Uh, so I want us to realize that there is 12,000 out of every tribe. You and I may not know who or where they are, but guess what? God knows more than I do. God knows more than some of the people that want to twist 144,000 to some strange number because they don't know who the Jews are. So, so we don't worry about who knows who they are. What we do worry about is that, that we just teach the right thing about this. So their substitution for Levi, for Dan, Joseph, for Ephraim, why the change? Well, I think the old time argument stands. I don't, I wouldn't die for this, by the way nor would I be divisive over it, by the way, but I, I do agree that both Dan and Ephraim were notoriously idolatrous. Uh, in the tribe of Dan, they even hired a priest who was to be uh, functioning as a priest for an idolatrous family, and this guy was just desperate enough to say, well, I don't have any means of getting any money, so I'll work with these people, and I'll pretend that I'm serving the idols, but I'll really, in my heart, I'm serving the Lord God of heaven, such... Uh, Mamby, Pammy, Christianity doesn't count for much. But you had that in the tribe of Dan. You had in the Ephraimites, you have that they're a half-baked cake, and they're just, just worshiping all kinds of images and idolatry. It came into these two particularly, uh, more so than in any of the other tribes. So to think of these two names is to think of something synonymous with idolatry. Does it stand to reason then that if the two tribes within the 12 sons of Jacob, does it stand to reason that maybe they might be overlooked for the purpose that God has in the tribulation? The other thing that I want us to realize is that when you come to the book of Ezekiel chapter 48, which describes for us the millennial age and the ministry in the millennium, these two guys are mentioned. So we have the tribulation, they're not. We have in the kingdom, they are. And so what you've got then is the grace of God, again, superseding, showing that the grace of God is far greater than the sin of man. So these two are somewhat restored at that time. So they are listed then in the grace of God rules in a wonderful way. Well, I just want you to think of their sealing. The fact is that these men were visibly marked so that as they went about not when they went about, when they go about future tense, when they will be going around the various parts of our globe, they're going to go not as secret agents. They will not be in any kind of a secret service. They're, they're going to be fully exposed. They're going to be identified immediately as they go from place to place to witness in the time when the Antichrist system will be ruling the most anti-God system that the world will have ever known. And these two men, these 144,000 men, will be openly, categorically speaking of the gospel of the kingdom. You see, we preach the gospel of Christ. 
we preach the good news that Jesus Christ has died for the sinner. The 144,000 will be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the difference between the gospel we preach and the gospel of the kingdom? Well, in essence, there's no difference, just in terminology. But you see, we are preaching the effect of Christ's death on the cross. We're preaching about what he did for us, and we're looking for men and women to change their life based on what Christ has accomplished. In the tribulation period, these men will be warning the world that the kingdom of heaven is about to come. Warning them that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he who rules over all in righteousness is about to come, which should let them know that a sinner should repent, and they cry upon them to repent so that they might be ready to receive the coming king. We are preaching the, the, the Savior who died for us. And by the way, the coming king and the Savior are the identical personage. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The emphasis is just slightly different, but in the long run, it's all about directing these people to believe and to trust and to honor the Lord God of heaven. Their salvation, how do these men get saved? If the, if the church is taken out of here, we know from Thessalonians that the church is taken out. Then we know from Second Thessalonians that that which restrains in the world is also taken out. Uh, I just want to give you a little example here, okay? We, just, just if I could be, I'm trying not to be political, but let me just give you an example. We have a government in Ontario that before they became government worked overtime in developing certain things that would further corrupt society, intentionally so. And so they brought about a, uh, a sex education program and they put it into the schools, and then they brought about the gender-neutral stuff, and then they brought in some other things, and, and, and they worked at bringing this in, and it becomes accepted, and it becomes a requirement to teach these things and to stand for these things. But here I am, loudmouth as I am, and I shout against this. Here's another preacher doing the same thing. Now there's another preacher doing the same thing. It's not enough preachers doing it. By the way, I would call on all preachers to do it. But there are Christians all over the place, men and women who write in and they have blogs and they have all kinds of information that they pass out and they say exactly the same thing. So here's the government looking at this and they say, well, we have a little bit of revolt in our hands. We got all these people crying against what we're doing. So what we're doing is kind of being challenged. And now you've got a, a possibility of a government in Ontario that's going to reverse this silliness. That's a picture of the restraint. All right, when, when the sinful things go full-blown into the wrong direction and you've got people working towards righting them, working towards correcting them, that is the restraint and the restrainer. That's a small picture of it. So when you think of it, the church has been a restrainer against evil. The church has preached righteousness and truth, and it continues to do so. And so that, of course, holds back some people from doing more evil than they might because they're actually being told it's not right to do this. Well, when that restraint is gone, the church is gone, the Holy Spirit is gone, where is the restraint? Well, the restrainer is gone, and the world is plummeting deeper and faster than it ever has before, but 
these 144,000 are specially set aside. How do they get saved in the tribulation time? There's no Holy Spirit present. There's no church present. There's no gospel preachers present. So what brings them to the point of salvation? I would venture that your guess is as good as mine. But my guess is that you and I are going to need to leave a lot of witness behind. Okay. First of all, I think these people will be investigating something, what's happened to all these people that were here. Uh, if you take the church that's in the world out all of a sudden, that does represent quite a few people. And they're going to be gone. No doubt they'll be investigating. There'll be books galore. There'll be recordings galore. There'll be all kinds of stuff left behind that they could. On the other hand, it could just be, it could just be, that God will do exactly what he did to Thomas Bowie's mother. Bring them across the path of the New Testament, which will tell them that Jesus was, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back again, and they will believe it. Not a bad evangelistic campaign on the part of our God to save 144,000. That's, that's quite a number. That itself... Uh, remember on the day of Pentecost, how many people were saved on the day of Pentecost? Anybody know this? 3,000. Huge number. Everybody gets excited about 3,000. Let's take 144,000. Okay? I'm telling you, everything in the tribulation is unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Where all of a sudden you'll have 144,000 people that are headed Godward from a life of sin but now become godly men. So their salvation, very, very, very likely that God just simply intercedes. He may use some of these other things, but God has his way of bringing men and women onto himself. Uh, then he takes and he seals them. He seals them with his own seal. He sends these angels down. They carry the seal of God with them, and every one of these 144,000 are sealed by God. They will become invincible witnesses for Christ because they have the seal of God on them. Well, we could identify with that in the sense that the Holy Spirit of God has sealed us. And the seal of God that is within us is an invincible seal, which means that we cannot be touched by the evil one because we are sealed by God as well. But that's not what this seal is. Okay, this is a different situation. So they are sealed by God. We read in Revelation 14, verse 1, very interesting verse. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their forehead. So if you've ever wondered, what is the seal that is going to be placed on these individuals as they are sealed of God so that everyone in the tribulation period will know, first of all, this is Hebrew, so therefore they must be Jew. Uh, and then because they have this, it's not just a tattoo. It's, it's an imprint by the finger of God, just like he did the Ten Commandments. So you have, you have the seal delivered by these angels that do this. And so these men are clearly marked men. And they are marked for the purpose of bringing the gospel to the world. Well, 
In verses 9 through 17, we have the saved souls. Just want us to reflect on them just for a couple of minutes. We read in verse number 9 that it is an innumerable host. If you look down at verse 9, he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, of all kindreds, and people, tongues, that stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands. Does this give you an indication? We have the witness says that go forth, there are 144,000. We have the fruit of the witnesses, which turns out to be a company innumerable. So when someone says in the tribulation time, will anybody get saved? You know, I can't even imagine how many. We can't even put a number to it. No man can number it. Could, from every nation, from every tribe. So, when the Bible says that this gospel shall go throughout the whole world, some people tell me it's already happened. Uh, it has not. It has gone far and wide, but it has not gone to the whole world. It, it hasn't and it won't. When the church is taken out, these individuals take the gospel to the entire world, so all four quarters of the earth, all four corners. That doesn't mean the earth is flat. It's just God's way of describing where the crosses meet and so on. So that every person in the whole wide world will have the opportunity to be saved. Not the ones deceived. Not going to go to the place where the gospel witness has penetrated. It's going to be in the outside areas. So there's an innumerable host be an international revival as people from all walks of life are converted. We have in verses 9 through 15... We have the martyred host because we see here that these people are crying and saying with a loud voice, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, and this is an interesting question, what are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? All right. Now, we said to you that the elders in Revelation 4 are representatives of the church, not of Israel and the church, representatives of the church. What we got now is got one of these elders comes, and he's mystified by this. So not the same as the church. Not the same people. So he's mystified by it. And he says, where did they come from? Where, what, who are they? And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Same salvation. Jesus Christ is preached by the Jews. Should we be overly surprised? Who was it that led the first 3,000 souls to Christ and into the waters of baptism? Who was it? A Jew. Who made up the first church that boomed to 6,000 people? Who was it that did that? A group of Jews. Who gave us the holy book? 
the Jews. God gave the oracles to them. That's their advantage, Paul said in the book of Romans. God has used the Jews. God used the Jews. I feel sorry for the replacement theology influence. I feel sorry for people who have been affected by it because they're missing a great blessing of what God has intended in the great program of God. So here we have this martyred host. Verse 15 says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. We have the comforted hosts in verse 16 through 17, where we see then they shall hunger no more, neither will they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You must realize that Revelation chapter 7 covers that time period of the tribulation. It doesn't give us an indicator as to whether it was day one after the rapture of the church, whether it was in the middle of the tribulation, whether it was before the big wrath time comes. It's not told us when these men are sealed, but the indicator is that the church is gone. Now God replaces the church with his witnesses. You see, the book of Romans tells us that Israel was put aside for a season. We didn't replace Israel. Israel is still Israel. A Jew is always a Jew. A Gentile is never a Jew, and a Jew is never a Gentile. The Bible teaches us in Corinthians, there's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and there's the church of God. So there are, there are three distinctives, but the Jew will always be Jew, the Gentile will always be Gentile. So when people get talking about the church is the new Israel, no, the church is not the new Israel. The church is the church. Israel is Israel. We must keep that, we must ever keep that focus in mind. There's no such thing as being able to twist that out of the scripture. Uh, just, just no way it can be done. So, what we need to realize is that Revelation 7 covers whatever happens, whatever duration of time in the tribulation period, the entire, the entire time of the tribulation, because these people at the end are at their rewarding time with a Redeemer, recognizing them and giving them comfort and giving them consolation, because many of them have been martyrs. When we say these vast multitudes will be saved, I want you to realize also that a whole host of them will be slaughtered because they dare to name the name of Jesus. They can't touch the 144,000 because Revelation 14, they're standing well and fine as they stand together with the Lamb of God singing glory and praise probably at the beginning of the millennium. They can't touch him, but they can put to death the result of their witness. They can put to death believers who have come out of the, uh, the unsaved life into a relationship with Christ and they're born again, and many of them will pay. Maybe the majority of them will pay with their lives. So the idea of people saying, well, I'm going to get saved in the tribulation, I just want you to know that if you've had the opportunity here, you probably won't have an opportunity there. Uh, it'll be for those who haven't had that opportunity. So that, But yet there will be this unbelievable price. I mean, today, here in our country, we can freely say we're saved, but you can't do that everywhere. There are a lot of places in the world where you don't dare do that or else you're going to lose your life. That's already true in part of the world today. On the tribulation, it will be true altogether. So what I want us to realize tonight is that world evangelization should be our main concern. That's the big ticket item. Do you know why we introduced the Faith Promise program in November here? 
is because we knew and believed God that would expand our missionary effort, and it has. We still don't compare with the big ones and the big programs, and, and we won't for a while, maybe, I don't know if ever, but, and that's not the concern. It's not so much whether we compete, that's not the idea, but it is to do more than what we thought we could. It is to do more than we believe God who could because we're doing far more than we believed them for before. So the idea that we exist here to make this happen. We didn't begin this. We didn't know they were on deputation, but the purpose of this church is to help them. The purpose of the church is to help others. The purpose of the church is to get this gospel out as far as we possibly can. So we need to realize that that should be our top priority. Our children should not only be taught morality and decency and all kinds of good character qualities, our children should be taught, you know that God's main purpose is for us to be missionaries for the cause of Christ in our neighborhood maybe, in our school maybe, in our sphere of influence somewhere. We need to be instructing our children that there is a very big purpose for your life and the purpose for your life is to tell somebody about the salvation that Jesus has made available to the people of the world. It should be our main concern. It is the dearest thing to Christ's heart. It is the command of Jesus Christ to the church. The New Testament churches were gospel preaching and witnessing churches. That's what they did. They went about proclaiming the gospel. They went about telling the gospel. And that's what this church has done for lots of years. Uh, Other churches have. And we thank God for every church that brings a gospel witness to its community and can expand that witness like some churches do. We're grateful for that and never tire of hearing the good old story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. So in conclusion, it's time to be saved. You might be sitting here and you have not yet decided for Jesus Christ. You you might have been in church for years and years and years, but you have never ever come to the place where you stopped short and said, Lord, I am a lost sinner, and I need the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to save me. I would say to you tonight would be the time to get saved. You may not have many other opportunities. You may never have another opportunity. This may be the one time that you can actually freely say, I want to receive Jesus to be my Savior. It's time to be saved. Time to be surrendered. We heard about that in the message this morning. It's not time to keep fighting God. It's not time to keep saying no. It's not time to resist what he wants to do in our lives. It's time to say, Lord, here's my heart. Take it, fill it, and use it to your glory. You should be able to say that I am surrendered to the Lord, and it is time to serve. Get busy for God. Get busy in God's work. Make it your number one priority in your life. Thank you for listening to an iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you found this podcast. Please subscribe and share with your friends. To hear more messages or to learn more about how to visit our services, visit openbible.ca. Once again, thank you for visiting us today.